But today is VE Day, the boys The jubilee crowned queen waves from the belt. Eagle has landed. Apollo 11 has landed. tearing down the Berlin Wall. Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth. The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Now, in one minute, can you explain what Wirecard did as a business and why it collapsed? I'll give it a go. Wirecard was a payments company, called itself the European PayPal, and it started out basically laundering money for criminals. Then it got really big, decided it was a technology company and became a stock market sensation. But it was faking its profits and doing lots of other nasty things. And as I tried to uncover it, it used all sorts of dirty tricks like hackers, private detectives, tried to get me arrested, that sort of thing, to expose the fact that everything about it was fake. That was very impressive. I think under a minute as well, Dan. Oh, brilliant. There we go. So, Dan, we want to know as journalists, how did you first get onto the story? What was it that kind of triggered your interest in this bizarre company? So at the FT, we have this phrase, stories get stories. I had written about a bunch of companies that seemed a bit off or had strange accounting. So my sources knew what I was interested in. And one day I was chatting to one of them, this Australian hedge fund manager. And he says to me, hey, Dan, would you be interested in some German gangsters? And of course I was, and it turned out it was this funny little company called Wirecard. So obviously in the book, it's kind of, you know, the, the centers on the CEO, Marcus Braun. Marcus Brown. Marcus Brown, sorry. And Marisalak. Jan Marsalak. Jan who was Marsalak. his protege, sort of like the most charming, amazing tech whiz kid you could ever meet. You know, he dropped out of high school to start his own tech company, starts working for Wirecard, and people fell in love with him. Yeah, I, but what was amazing me, I mean, the, the you had these kind of two, two central characters who were obviously responsible for the business so much. Um, but the fraud you uncovered was, you know, endemic and so widespread. Uh, how many people do you think were behind it? How many people do you think were committing criminal acts and fraud within the Wirecard business? So the amazing thing about these complex accounting frauds is that you can actually get away with doing it with very few people. Because Wirecard, on the one hand, had this legitimate business. It employed about 6,000 people, most of whom were doing a normal business. They genuinely thought they were a great company and they were all getting paid very well because it turns out if you don't have to make real profits, you can run a very large business for quite a long time. And they had this cover story about where the nasty stuff was happening. You know, money laundering was basically the cover story. Don't look over there. Don't go over there. Just be happy that we get all the profits from here. And so it was all very compartmentalized, you know, operations in lots of different countries. And that enabled them to sort of get away with it because it had this very legitimate facade or facade. Which way around is facade, it? Facade, it is facade. They had this very legitimate facade of a real business that looked and sounded and felt real. And then you had this small group. Now, three people are on trial in Germany. One of them has run away. 
Um, a couple of others have disappeared. One guy died. Um, I'm doing air quotes as I say that because um, shortly after the fraud was exposed, one of their partners in the Philippines supposedly went to hospital with an infected boil and died of sepsis very quickly. Um, Wow. As an aside, by the way, um, the Philippines is a very cheap place to have a death certificate faked, but I'm sure it's totally legit and everything's fine. He really is dead. So there's about a dozen people who seem to have been implicated in some way, which um, kind of feels like there were more involved with that than that. Yeah. And there has to be more people who knew about it as well. They must have been at least a couple of hundred people who knew what was going on in the business. There are some notable absences from the list of people who have been indicted, one of whom is the former CFO who ran the business for a decade um, and is widely regarded to have the best lawyer. Where is that CFO now? Um, he's retired. He is in Germany somewhere. But, you know, the former chief operating officer has gone on to a new job somewhere. And she is renowned as a details person. You know, I've spoken to a consultant who worked for her who told me that when he submitted, you know, his timesheet with, you know, pages and pages and pages of everything he'd done, she would come back and, you know, would have picked out a couple of things in these pages of dense information that she wanted to query. But apparently she had no idea that there was this enormous wide scale accounting fraud going on inside her company. And, and Dan, one of the most amazing things about Wirecard is the fact that it was backed by, you know, some big fund managers. So Alexander Darwell was probably the most prominent example. He was a big Jupiter fund manager, then went to his own shop. Um, and he was invested from the start and, you know, hugely high conviction, well, had, had real high conviction in what Wirecard was doing. Um, obviously, this went disastrously for him. Why do you think that Darwell and other managers were so convinced about that Wirecard was not a fraud? I think there's a few different things at play. We need to draw in psychology here. It's very hard to change people's mind when money is at stake, particularly when the decisions you have made have made you large amounts of money and great success. So there are a few um, very long-term inv investors who backed Wirecard all the way. Alcan was another one. And I think they had spent so much time with Marcus Brown, the CEO, that they trusted him. And so when issues arose, they would talk to Marcus and they would be reassured. You know, they've been in the room with him. Surely he hasn't been lying to me all these years. And I think what happens is if you're invested in something emotionally, politically, monetarily, and you get bad news, you look for reasons to explain it away. And Wirecard was very good at giving people reasons to explain things away. The main one being that the journalist writing the nasty stories about them was corrupt. I mean, I think we have to bring in the German regulator Barfin here as well. Um, obviously kind of, you know, involved in, in uh, you know, what people were saying about Wirecard early on, they were aware. Um, why do you think that they never properly investigated Wirecard um, or launched kind of any enforcement action earlier against the business? Um, and, you know, have you learned anything from that about the German regulation system? So I think regulators as a species are pretty bad track record at discovering fraud. 
I mean, think of the SEC's failures in the US and Bernie Madoff. They ignored the warning signs for a long time. The UK's FCA doesn't exactly have a brilliant track record. In the German case, I think there was a sense of national pride. We've got a tech company. We don't have many of those. Isn't it amazing? There was also, I guess they were confirming earlier decisions that they'd made. Wirecard used this tactic repeatedly over the years. Whenever it was attacked, it would say, this is market manipulation. And the regulator investigated the people who tried to expose what it was up to, uh, short sellers. And so when we came along, it was sort of sticking to the same script because if it had done anything else, it would have called into question its own earlier actions. You know, cognitive biases exist for regulators as well as investors. And with, I mean, with Wirecard as well, because this company had what thirty billion market cap. At one it was point. getting pretty close to that. At the there point. was it was going to it was in talks to buy Deutsche Bank at one point. Oh, that was the escape plan. God, I I completely forget about this. Uh, I mean, it's just remarkable to think that think yeah. back uh, a company that has now been collapsed in this huge fraud was was actually in talks with to buy Deutsche Bank. So, Deutsche Bank have always said they never took this seriously. They had a couple of meetings with the company. And they didn't like the smell of Marcus Brown. But, but they had a meeting. They, they did have meetings after the FT had started writing nasty things about them. And Wirecard was putting together a proposal for a hostile takeover of Deutsche Bank, which is kind of an indictment of how bad Deutsche Bank has been over the last 20 years. And it had a tough period, kind of what, 2021, 2020? I mean, it, its market cap for a long time was smaller than Wirecard's. And it had this huge balance sheet, you know, trillion euros in assets. So you do wonder, you know, there is an alternative reality. Had this been a year later, you know, in the meme stock craze when tech stocks went ballistic, maybe Wirecard might have got away with it. And we would currently be talking about Marcus Brown as the finance titan reshaping the European financial system. It's kind of, that's how close we were to something astonishing. Like yeah, that. although you'd hope that Deutsche would have done a bit of due diligence before that, that uh, any kind of transaction. I mean, happened. there's lots of examples of due diligence in this story <laughs> that really don't work. But yes, I mean, you would hope that German politicians might have had second thoughts at yeah, some point. definitely. And I guess the kind of the point I was, I was getting at was that, you know, financial advisors, wealth managers, um, investors, you know, they're the ones who are trusting fund managers. What kind of things do you think they should be saying and checking um, in, in, in light of, you know, your work on Wirecard? What, what kind of, what, what's the lesson there for investors? I'm kind of with Warren Buffett on this, in that you should understand a business you're investing in. Fundamentally, what most companies do isn't that complicated. And even if it is, if you sit down and have someone explain it to you slowly in words of one syllable, you'll get it. And so if a company like Wirecard is waving away, saying, oh, it's very complicated, you don't understand it, that's a problem. And I think it's a really simple lesson, you know, put your money into things that you understand. Well, I think on that note, that's a great lesson for our readers. And I'd definitely encourage everyone to read Dan's excellent book, Money Men. It's on the shelves now. He's hoping for some royalties, you know. Absolute great Christmas presents for <laughs> lovers of thrillers and frauds. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for listening. It's been great. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs>
Eagle has landed. Apollo 11 has tearing down the Berlin Wall. Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth. The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk.